awesome. I'm excited for our, our life groups partnering with missionaries. And I, I hope you're seeing some themes come through here. Um, one theme might be relationship. Uh, our church family and, and all of you have, have been busy building relationships with our missionaries, with our short-term ministry opportunities and the people of, 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 um, of other cultures that we are engaged with. You have been busy building relationships. And, and to hear of um, a life group, and I know it's only one of our life groups, others are doing the same thing, a life group this morning that's, that's on a prayer calendar for one of our missionary families and is, is, is regularly contacting them by, by phone or social media. I, I just praise the Lord for that. That's relationship, and that's taking it out among all of us. Not one of us owns that. It's all what God is doing. And I, I'm just very appreciative of it, and I'm, I'm proud of our church family for those things this morning. Another thing <clears throat> that I've seen already this morning is longevity. Um, missions doesn't happen. You don't go on a short-term team for a week and change the world. You invest. You, you, you make an impact for what God has brought you there for. But effectiveness in ministry is long-term. And so we've seen that as well in, in all of our ministries regarding missions, long-term relationships and seeing the fruit of the kingdom built up month after month and year after year through those relationships. And it's amazing to see. <clears throat> um, in the few minutes that we have left this morning, I'm going to try to pack a full sermon into the next 15 minutes. So, Catherine, good luck keeping up with me on the PowerPoint slides, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, our, our theme verse, oh, by the way, my friend Herb James is here. We've, Dan already mentioned, or Pete already mentioned that, but Herb is here and his wife Donna. They're with the Minnesota Coalition for Eastern Europe. Valley Free is part of that coalition, and I, I have been looking forward to having Herb come and explain that ministry to you for a long time, and, and he's here to do that this morning. We're part of a coalition of churches in the Twin Cities area that are focusing on Eastern Europe, and uh, there's a lot of exciting things. So if, you, if you're excited about what God's doing in missions already this morning, come to Sunday School. We'll explain a little bit more about our missions program here at Valley, and then I'll turn it over to Herb, and he'll explain what God's doing all through Eastern Europe through a coalition that you are a part of. I can't wait to hear it. <clears throat> the book of Acts... Uh, the, Acts 1.8 is kind of our theme verse this, this morning, and uh, our speaker, James Peterson, next week from Reach Global will be sharing from this verse as well. Um, it's our theme verse. Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, actually the whole book of Acts, is a record of the first church. Acts chapter 2 is a record of the, the, the birth of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed. It's a witness to the Jews first, the book of Acts to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles, and it's a record of how the, the, the gospel, I, I, you're going to hear me say this often this morning, jumped over the fence from Judaism into the Gentile world. In the 28 chapters of, of, of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is unleashed, his power and, and the testimony of Jesus Christ is presented to the world by a small band of followers followers of Jesus who were convinced of his identity and of his resurrection power. As the book of Acts opens up there, Dr. Luke tells us 
as he writes, rec records the book of Acts, Dr. Luke tells us there were about, about 120 followers of Jesus gathered, in, in, gathered together. And they had lived through the terrible days of the crucifixion, and they were waiting for God's promise to them. And all they knew was that they were to wait and pray for the promised Holy Spirit to be given to them. That's all they knew. So it was an inauspicious beginning for what would become the largest religion the world has ever known. And after three years of earthly ministry, the plan of God through Jesus Christ came down to this group of people waiting, and I would argue even hiding, in Jerusalem for further instructions. And then it happened, and then you know what happened. Fifty days later, the, uh, after Passover and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the city was filled for the Feast of Pentecost. It was on that day that the world changed forever. The promised Holy Spirit came like a roaring wind and empowered this feeble little band of Christ followers to proclaim the name of Jesus. And under the influence of God's Holy Spirit, they all began to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the gospel was being proclaimed in Jerusalem by the most unlikely of people. And the testimony went out with great power. Dr. Luke tells us that after Peter got done preaching that first sermon of the first church, the first day of the first church, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people on that day were, were brought to faith in Christ Jesus and brought into the kingdom of God. And, and immediately following after that, they began to get, gather together for worship and teaching in the word of God. That day, the church was born. And the rest, as they say, is history. The church grew from 120 to 3,000 in one day. And that's all under the power of the Holy Spirit. And over the course of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke stopped his narrative six times to give a status report. The church continued to grow. The priests and many others were coming to Christ. And the church is being established in the Word six times. And in our study guide that we have out in the foyer for you, there's a listing of those verses. It's a fascinating study to go through and see how Luke summarized the progression of the gospel in the book of Acts. And under the pressure of persecution, the church began to jump the fence of Judaism. The first sign of the, of the Holy Spirit's work outside of Jerusalem, outside of, of Judaism, was in the northern city of Antioch. The Christians fleeing persecution in Jerusalem were now spread out by force, and they, they wound up in the city of Antioch, and they began proclaiming Jesus in that city. And they began proclaiming Jesus to non-Jews, to Gentiles. And under the leading of the power and the power of the Holy Spirit, the city was turned upside down. The gospel of Jesus had jumped the fence from the Jewish world to the Gentile world. In the meantime, and you know the story, the book of Acts, I'm kind of doing a little flyby here, but in the meantime, the, the risen Christ had laid hold of a man by the name of Saul. And you remember Saul, he was a tremendous persecutor of the church. And he was apprehended on the, on the side of a road by God while he was on his way to persecute followers of Christ. And Saul, that day, with the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him, was given the commission to take the gospel to the Gentile world. This rabid persecutor of Christians would soon become its biggest apologist and evangelist. And in the span of 40 years, <clears throat> the apostles of Jesus, along with the apostle Paul and his companions, took the gospel to the edges of the known world and the Roman Empire. I have a map 
It's, it's my attempt at a map showing the growth of the gospel out from Jerusalem. I think you can see it on the screen. From its humble beginning in Jerusalem, the church was now being established in cities across Asia, modern-day Turkey, and even on into Europe, and then on to Rome itself. It's said that this movement went from 120 people in Jerusalem and in no less than 300 years numbered in the millions. Some say as high as 25 to 30 million followers of Christ. And today, some centuries later, the number of followers of the Christian religion are estimated at 2.3 billion people. And that's today. That doesn't include the count from history. And with all things with God... There's a plan and a purpose revealed in history. A plan and a purpose revealed in this remarkable story of global penetration of the gospel and the millions who have heard and received the message of Jesus. So if we study the book of Acts, which we don't have time to do this morning, but if we study the book of Acts, we study the various aspects of God's purpose in the church and in history, we'll get a growing sense of our role in what he is doing in history. We'll see our lives play a role in God's plan for the world. We'll see how we can live with an attitude of expecting to see God's work as we participate in missions. Did you hear Rebecca this morning? She said, I, I, made, a, I, made, a, I made a mission statement before I went because I wanted to see God work. And she saw God work in her life and all around her because she was intentional about it. And that's what happens when we get inside the book of Acts and we see our role in the Great Commission as we see it in Acts 1.8. There, there was once a, I don't know whatever happened to it, a, group, a music group by the, top, by the name of Acts 29. Am I old enough? To, okay. Some, somebody say you heard of that group. Okay, thank you. I don't know how old that is, but, it, but listen. But... Um, Here's why I bring that up, not because of the music, but because the, the idea, Acts 29, Acts has how many chapters? 28 chapters. Why is it called Acts 29? Because we are Acts 29. I, I, I am convinced that Valley Evangelical Free Church, in whatever course of history God gives to us as a church family, Valley Evangelical Free Church has a chapter in the book of Acts. And I think you are part of it. And I think as God writes the book of Acts, and maybe we'll see that laid out in heaven for us, he's going to have the whole history of Valley Free Church and how God used the community, the family, the faith family of Valley Evangelical Free Church to reach the world for Christ. We're part of the story. So I'd like to look, first of all, I'd like to take a few minutes and look at the explosive growth of the early church. I think you'll find this fascinating. Listen to this. In, the, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark asked the question, how did a tiny and obscure messianic movement from the edge of the Roman Empire dislodge classical paganism and become the dominant faith of Western civilization? How in the world did that happen? And as followers of Christ, as students of his word, we know the answer to that question, and the answer is God. The Holy Spirit did it. In fact, we know that Jesus said it was better that he go away so the Holy Spirit would then arrive on the scene. In your Bible, the, the heading for the book of Acts might say the Acts of the Apostles. Mine does. 
that's indeed true because it focuses on the testimony, the witnessing of the apostles in the first church as the gospel goes out. But I wonder, and many people have wondered if the title shouldn't more accurately be the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the whole book of Acts is the Holy Spirit unleashed. We even sang about it this morning, one of our songs. We sang, um, Megan, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh Uh-oh. The color just drained out of her face. When the Holy Spirit was unleashed and the flame was lit, something like that in, in the lyrics of one of the songs we sang this morning, the Holy Spirit was unleashed and the flame of the church was lit. That's the, that's the book of Acts. So the primary reason, the first, first component of the growth of the local church, the first church, is, is the Holy Spirit. It's the will, it's the power, and it's the Spirit of God unleashed on those first believers. But there are other reasons for the explosive growth, and others have spoken into this. But I'll take from Stark's list, from Rodney Stark's list in the book, The Rise of Christianity. Another reason is that of the miraculous. Jesus told the disciples that they would receive power, and that's in verse 8 of chapter 1. They would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come. All through the book of Acts, we see power in preaching. We see power in salvation of individuals. We see power of salvation in families. We see power of salvation in larger groups, 3,000 on the first day. We see healings. We see freedom from demon possession. We see people giving up their idols and and giving up their pagan worship. In in Ephesus, the people brought all their their pagan worship uh, things, their idols and stuff, and they threw them on a pile and burned them. They walked away from it at the name of Jesus. Peter was set free from jail by an angel who came and unlocked the gate. Paul survived beatings, persecutions, and and, and shipwrecks. Power came by walking in Christ and walking in faith. We see the miraculous all through the book of Acts. But Rodney Stark gives four more reasons, and I I think this is very interesting in light of the fact that we've just come through eight weeks of looking at the blessed principle and what it means to walk out our testimony in our neighborhoods and in our networks. Listen to this. The first reason Stark gave for the the amazing growth of the church is its connectedness. Relationships, first on the list. Research shows over and over again that Christians had extensive personal relationships. Neighbors, coworkers, family, friends, Christians were plugged into their communities. Conversions in the early church were usually made in the context of personal relationships. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We just spent eight weeks driving that point home. And there it was in the first church. Nothing has changed. Our witness is still woven into the relationships that we have. The second thing that Stark points out is that there was was a spirit of servanthood. We need to understand, and, and this is worthy of our study as well, that the time period of the early church was marked. You think our days are difficult. Their days were marked by wars and rumors of wars. Their days were marked by plagues. By, by viruses, by calamities of all kinds. But the important thing is that the early Christians didn't run from it. At the first sight of the first mention of a, 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 an out-of-control media about the coronavirus, the Christians didn't run for the hills. They stayed. And they stayed in cities that others were fleeing from, and they ministered to their own, and they ministered to other people. It didn't matter if they were Christians or not. They ministered to them. They had, a, they had a, an attitude of servanthood. Christ has set us free. Christ came to serve us, 
And so we have come to serve you. That was the spirit. Conversions took place in the context of selfless service. Does that sound familiar to you? I say yes. Somebody say yes. Okay, I hope so. What's, what's the first S of bless? Oh, serve. Yes. Okay, boy, you guys were a little slow on that one. Okay. The next thing, they brought order to life and family. Oh, this is amazing. The family values of Christians and their theology of life stood in stark contrast to the pagan values of the day. In particular, and I find this, I find this amazing and horrifying all at the same time. But in the Roman Empire, men were expected and encouraged to sleep around. Monogamy was not a value in the Roman Empire. Faithfulness to a, 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 a single wife was a foreign and even a mocked concept in the Roman Empire. Christianity came along with a strong value for the family, with a strong teaching on marriage, husband and wife relationship, came along and was, was salt in that kind of a culture. Christianity strengthened the family. And so Christianity, listen to this, Christianity stood for children that were abandoned by the mores of the culture. They adopted children. It goes even farther, and I see if you recognize this conversation. But when men were sleeping around with their servants, with other women, etc., etc., unwanted pregnancies abounded. And not only did adoption take place, but many children were left to die after they were born. They were just simply left out in the elements to perish. Oh my goodness. What kind of a culture would do that? But Christians, with their new theology of life, took them in and, and they stood against barbaric practices like this. Christianity offered hope and stability to a fractured family structure in the Roman Empire. We, we could unpack this for a long time as well, but when you read about the women in the New Testament and the women in the book of Acts, you know why they were attracted to the church? Because of that. Because they didn't find faithfulness at home, and they needed someplace to find identity. And they came to the church, they came to the believers, and they found identity in this new religion called Christianity. Does that have anything to do with our culture today? Does that have anything to do with our, the, the voice of the church today? And then the last thing is there's a practical theology of love. You see, all these things reflected an important theological truth. God loves the world. I'll say it again, the world. This truth motivated Christians to see the life of the world, to see the world through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of God's heart for people. And this idea of love began to permeate Western culture and promoted a, a culture of life, justice, and freedom. That's where Western culture gets its values from. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We've just been through a significant focus on the blessed principle for outreach. And this study of history reveals, reveals to us, to me, that the blessed principle is not just a passing fad, but it's a, it's a profile of the characteristics of the Christian life and our witness. And as we see it in the context of the first church, I realize 
that these things we're striving to characterize our lives by are the very things that changed the world, that changed history. That makes me understand. That makes me take into, my, into the deepest parts of my heart. That makes every man and woman who proclaims the name of Jesus and even simply lives for Christ day to day, that makes you a world changer. That makes you somebody who can bend the arc of history by your testimony. How about that? Can you take that home with you today? There's more. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to do this really quick. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let me read it before we, before we get too far into this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here's verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's one of five great commission statements through the Gospels and the book of Acts. So here's, here's, the, here's the problem. The difficulty is that sometimes we take that list that Rodney Stark gave us from the rise of Christianity, we take that list of, of serving others, loving others, being, and we take those things, and they're doing, right? They're, they're being a testimony in our, in our relationships, in, their, in our networks, our world. They're doing but here's what happens, and the liberal church has, has, has just run, run at great length with this idea, and that is we take those things, those doing, those serving, those, those, those practical, tangible things, and we put them in place of the gospel message. And so sometimes, sometimes ministries get so involved with, with giving things, and as, as our friends at Love, Inc. say, transactional ministry, transactional uh, ministry. I'll give you this. And we forget to say, this is in the name of Jesus. We forget to say, can I pray with you today? And so when we deliver a bunk bed through Love Inc. Ministries, that's one of the things we like to do is say, can I pray with you? Can I pray for your family? How would you like to come and visit our church? Because we want to get the name of Jesus into that family, into that context. But the problem is that many times we get so involved with the doing and with the transaction and with the giving and look at me, I gave, look at me, I helped, look at me, I supported. <clears throat> and we forget that the main thing that we are about is to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that we, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. We're called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. I'm going to say something really radical. We're not called to give away bunk beds. We do. We do it because we want to have a, access into a family for the sake of representing Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. Somebody said to me, well, Jesus came because he was, all through the Gospels, it's his primary focus is healing. And I said, no. He did heal. And he does heal. But his primary purpose was to preach the kingdom of God. And he said so. So we get, the, we get this all kind of distorted. And so Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is calling us back to the calling that God has for us. <clears throat> Listen to this. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8, four things that I, th- I draw out of this passage. First of all, it's about a person. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you, and you will be my witnesses. This is all about lifting up the name of Jesus. Our calling is to name, lift up the name of Jesus. The first, from the first sermon in Acts chapter 2 to the testimony of Stephen to the message of Paul, it's all about Jesus. So we can't let our deeds, we can't let our good deeds, we can't let our, our efforts and our endeavors overshadow the fact that the name of Jesus is at the center of our relationships, our evangelism, and our missions endeavors. It's all about Jesus. The second thing that we, that we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is power. Newsflash, we have no power and no authority on our, in, unto ourselves. We can't solve sin. We can't heal. We can't restore broken hearts. We can't restore broken relationships. We can't do anything of eternal value on our own. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us. It's the Holy Spirit that enlightens us to the truth, the grace, and the wisdom of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us power to do the things, to do things in the name of Jesus. You see, ours is to listen to the Spirit, to heed his directions, and go where he is working. And as we allow him to lead, we'll see great power unleashed in our lives and in our missionary efforts. His power. The third thing that we see here is program. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Here it is. This is our role, and it's rather simple. Be a witness to the resurrection power and the life of Jesus Christ. In anything we do, we must give glory and testimony to Jesus. When Peter healed the lame man in the temple courts soon after Acts chapter 2, in the, in the, the scene where 3,000 people came to Christ, he refused to take glory unto himself, but rather he lifted up the name of Jesus. You, you think I healed this guy? No, this is the name of Jesus that lifted him up, that healed him today. Now, we might be called in different ways to walk out this calling. It might be to deliver bunk beds. It might be to go to Peru. It might be to work with the homeless in Pitesh. I don't know what it is. God might call us to different ways to walk it out. But every one of us is called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Somebody just needs to say amen right there. Okay. Fourth thing, plan. We just spent eight weeks talking about personal evangelism. But the Great Commission goes beyond our neighborhood. It goes beyond our network. Jesus said it includes Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. So don't let us be consumed with our world only. Let us have an aching in our heart to take the blessing of salvation and life to places it has never been proclaimed. Brian and Julie Host are Reach Global Missionaries. They've been here. You've heard them speak. Um, We had them scheduled for next week, but unfortunately, they raised all their support and they took off for Rwanda. I don't know what that's about. So we, we lost in that conversation. They have something in their email, in their, in their newsletters that I find very intriguing. It says, if you'll support us, we'll go. And I think that statement sums up the whole missionary enterprise right there for us. We're either called to support missionaries, missions, or we're called to go. Those are your two choices. Two choices, that's it. 
Not a big smorgasbord of, well, maybe later, maybe this or maybe that. As soon as I get my act together, as soon as I get my life together, as soon as our church gets our walls painted, et cetera, et cetera. No. If you support me, I'll go. Two members of the team, that's it. Supporters or goers. That's it. I put the third point down here, an expectant future as optional, but I, I, I just can't leave it. Immediately, what happened after, after Jesus came? He gave the Great Commission in verse 8. What happened after that? Somebody help me out. Jesus went up right then and there, went up into the clouds. Jesus was, was resurrected, was taken up into heaven, not to be seen again after 40 days of ministry to the apostles. Then what happened? They stared at the sky. They stared at the sky. Then what happened? Come on. And the angels came and said, what are you doing? What are you staring at? Don't you know that he's coming back? Don't you know in the meantime, you're called to be witnesses? Don't you know that? Oh. He, and this is what I want to stop at right here. Acts chapter 1 tells us he's coming back. And I wonder, I wonder this morning as we, as we think about these things, Jesus is coming back, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, if, if he doesn't come in my lifetime, I'm going to be surprised. And I'm asking you the question this morning. I, I think, I, I think it's, it's, it's eminent is the theological term. It's eminent. Jesus is coming to take his church. Today, it, it could be this afternoon. It could well, wouldn't it be something if I could be preaching while the rapture happened? <laughs> yeah. And you wouldn't even know the transition between life and heaven. <laughs> that is not in the script. <laughs> Jesus is coming soon. Let me ask you the question. What if we're the last generation? What if we're the last generation? Acts chapter 1 tells us this, this is the first church. This is how the church was birthed. The Holy Spirit came, the flame was lit, and it was uncontrollable ever since then. What if we're the last generation? What, let that question sink in. What if? What if? Private Desmond Doss in the story of Hacksaw Ridge. And if you've seen the movie, if you haven't, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil the whole thing for you. Private Desmond Doss is a medic who refused to carry, he's a, he's a um, pacifist, he refused to carry a gun into battle. He was a medic, and he was left alone on a bloody and violent battlefield. It's an amazing story. Everyone else had retreated for the day to come back, and they left the wounded on top of this hill, this cliff. And he stayed because they needed to be saved. And he could hear the, the wounded soldiers crying out in the night and the Japanese patrols moving around and killing soldiers. And he prayed, Lord, let me save just one. And he went back into the battlefield in the cover of dark, the cover of night, and in a great peril to his own life, I don't know how he didn't lose his own life, and he dragged how many, I want to say 70, 75 soldiers off that cliff all by himself, one at a time, 
And every time he came to the cliff and he lowered him down on this rope, a huge cliff, lowered him down, and the guys down below were saying, where are these people coming from? And, he, and he'd pull the rope back up and he'd say, and he'd stop and pray, and he'd say, Lord, give me just one more. You see, the Lord is coming back, and I think that needs to be our mantra as well. Give me one more. So that should empower us for our personal evangelism right when we walk out those doors this morning. But I'm hoping with all that you've heard this morning that it will also empower you and, and embolden you to see the world, the globe, through God's eyes. To see what he's doing in the world. And this week we hope to open your eyes to see that through a variety of things. But my prayer is that Valley Free, you, you see, one of the struggles we face in this conversation is, well, my neighbors have yet to receive Christ, so therefore I'm not concerned about the world. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's an and, it's a both and equation. We are to be witnesses when we go to Walgreens today. We're to be witnesses when we gather with our family. We're to be witnesses when we walk into work in the morning or school. But we're also be, to be those who are supporting or going to the world. What if there was one more? Let me close with this. Our plea needs to be just one more. Just one more soul saved. One more life restored. One more heart healed by Jesus. One more church planted. One more city. One more state. One more nation reached for Christ. One more people group with God's word in their language. One more pastor trained in the gospel. One more motorcycle given for pastors in Africa. One more child sponsored to grow up in the knowledge of Jesus. One more child saved from human trafficking. Lord Jesus, here we are. And as already has been referenced this morning, as you said to Isaiah, who will go and let us, let us be those who say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, that's the cry of our heart here at Valley Evangelical Free Church. Use us. Inflame our hearts to go where you call us to go, to open our mouths when you call us to speak, to be sensitive to those around us that we might enter into relationship to earn the right to hear, to, to share our testimony of you. Lord, in each of our lives, whether it's at school or work or wherever it is tomorrow, in each of our lives, Lord Jesus, would your name be lifted up. May the world see you because of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. On your way, rejoicing.